Hi, I'm Michael Hartman. I'm Naomi Liu. And I'm Mike Rizzo. And this is OpsCast. A podcast for marketing ops pros. And RevOps pros. Created by the MoPros, the number one community for marketing operations professionals. Tune in to each episode as we chat with real professionals to help elevate you in your marketing operations career. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of OpsCast brought to you by MarketingOps.com, powered by the MoPros. I'm your host, Michael Hartman, uh, today flying solo, but I'm excited because today is our first of what we hope will be uh, the beginning of a short series of episodes on general topic areas, which is what we intend to try to make 2023 as we're going into it uh, a little more structured. And one of those topic areas is working is what we're going to talk about with this guest today, which is how can marketing ops teams work better with uh, other ops functions. So kicking us off on this episode is actually one of our first returning solo, first returning solo guests. We have had one other person who's been on one extra time, but not by herself. So Lorena Morales is joining us again. The last time she was here was on an episode in late 2021. It doesn't feel like it's been that long. So um, Lorena is currently revenue operations executive at JLL Technologies. And prior to that, Lorena has held several marketing operations leadership roles. She is also currently on the advisory board with Syncery and is an active member of several communities, including women in revenue. So Lorena, welcome back. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Michael. It's such an honor to be one of the uh, back uh, speakers because or guests in the show, because it's yeah, you have people that I respect so much, and to be back here is is such an honor. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah. As you said, um, yeah, I'm currently dire- the director of um, digital marketing revenue operations at JLL, not really JLL Technologies. So ah, there's okay. a there's a correction there, but uh, because it's a separate company. But yes, um, it's been more, more than a year, I think. Yeah, I look time back. Time passes so fast. So we are recording this uh, almost on the anniversary of our first episode, two, second, right? Which was January. This is January thirteenth, twenty three, and we our first episode was the fifteenth of twenty one, and the episode we recorded with you last time was in like October of twenty twenty one. Which, when I when I look back and saw that, I was like, could it really have been that long ago? Because it doesn't feel like it. <laughs> Yeah, I feel the same. I feel like as you become an adult and like you become older, time passes by faster, unfortunately. And that I hit that age already. So sad, sad story to me. Yeah, I, I I remember telling my parents when I was a little bit younger, but old, kind of getting older. I was like, you really undersold how fast time goes by. Yep, right? definitely. So um, it's it's definitely something to keep up with. Well, we're glad to have you back. Um, it's it's kind of fun. I mean, it's hard to believe that we've had so many great guests and that we have had such you know fortunate to to have all of them. And I suspect we'll probably get start having more people on again. But um, glad to have you be the first. So why don't we? But why don't we start there with JLL, not JLL Technologies? Like you know, I think you were when we last talked. You had, I think it just started in that in that company, and yeah. so we're starting to see some things that were kind of new to your to you in terms of your experience, mostly I think at smaller companies. So maybe an update on like what's going on there and like has anything new come up out of that that you think would be relevant for our audience? Yeah, actually what's not going on? <laughs> it's uh <laughs> it's been quite of quite of a journey so far. Um after that the this year that has happened after we last spoke. 
Um, definitely now I have a bigger team. So when we when we were talking uh, back in in October, I was recently joining joining the company. Yes, that's correct. But um, I didn't have a team or a big team. So now I um, I have a bigger team, a global team uh, that manages. I have my eyes in EMEA, my, my eyes in APAC, and uh, and my my agency, a global agency as well, running uh, Americas and also running the other two regions. So now I'm 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 in charge of the eight regions that are more profitable for the company. So that includes Japan, China, Australia, India, Germany, France, Americas. And probably I am missing one somewhere there, uh, which is not good because I should know this by heart. But uh, it's, a, it's, it's been a long, as we were talking about before this, like it's <laughs> been a long week, long month already. It, it, long it week, weird. long week for me. But uh, what has changed is definitely I have a, a leaner team and a smarter team that I made sure I've always made sure to hire people that are smarter than me in many ways and in many senses. And this is not the, the the exception. I made sure to hire really brilliant minds in the space that uh, already knew revenue operations or that were to 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 be embarked in the journey of revenue operations that had the ability to to be coachable and to learn this this function. Um, one of them is my my analyst who had experience previously in revenue operations. So that was a role that I was like, this this needs to be a person that understands not only the concept, but the execution of revenue operations. And so today we have learned that revenue operations has different flavors in different organizations, which I know it might sound very logic, but when you work for a, for a company of this size, 110,000 employees, um, it's it's quite a different beast, and it's and it's and it's been a, a curve, a learning curve that I didn't expect because I had to unlearn a lot of the things that I knew back in my days at, at a consultancy. Um, but that's what what has changed: a bigger team, more responsibilities, and now I'm part of the leadership team of digital marketing. That's great. No, I I love. I, I'm with you. Like I want to hire people who could take my job, right? At some point, <laughs> right? Maybe they're not there yet, but. I think that's really important to see them. And I like the idea that I also look for people who are coachable. I think that's a really important skill that is probably underrated by a lot of people. I think it's easy to find people who can do what you need them to do, but if they need to learn something else, you want to make sure they can do that. Yep. So I'm good. Yeah. I, it'll be, I think it'll be interesting to hear more about what that, that has been like, cause that's, that is JLL is definitely a big company, right. With global footprint. So that's, it brings in a whole nother set of challenges. I think that some of the folks who are listening wouldn't experience it, even if they're at a moderately big size company. Mm-hmm. So, um, okay. So let's kind of get into this. Like, so one of the reasons we're, we've been wanting to be a little more thoughtful and purposeful about the topics we want to go into and do a little deeper dive over a series of episodes is just, I think what we found is that there are topics that resonate with people and we want to go a little deeper um, in kind of a, a shorter period of time. So when we, when we last talked, um, we talked quite a bit about what you were calling the, a, a maturity model for revenue operations. And I, I kind of remember little bits and pieces of it um, about how, you know, it goes from sort of centralized to distributed and then back to centralized again is kind of, if I remember right, uh, but yeah. is your thinking about that still the same or has it changed a little bit now that you've got 
a little more time at JLL? I think, Michael, that's a great question because with time, as I was saying, your perspective of things change. And that's exactly what, what happened a little bit. So when, when I was talking last last year or so about a maturity model, it's it's basically like a like a blueprint for identifying what are the unique steps um, an enterprise can take to continuously improve revenues because that's the whole point, right? But today I realize that maturity not necessarily means being in an X or Y state of things where, for example, all your systems are working and, and communicating between each other and probably you have an 80% accuracy on your forecasting models and, uh, and, then, and you have this blue sky and that's when you call the, the, the model that mature enough. No, I think it means movement. And when I say movement, I mean that, for example, an organization that is already willing to interview their customers at least once a month or so, is already maturing. To what level? That depends heavily on, on what the company needs. But like, for example, someone already measuring LTV is also maturing. Like that is that is maturement for me. Like I think my vision has changed to from thinking that I need to reach certain level to understanding that movement is movement. Forward to the sides, uh, a little backwards if you're going to take... Um, uh, if you're going to take two steps back and you're going to take four steps forward and go backwards. But um, it's movement for me uh, uh, at the end. And and yes, so to, your, to answer your question, it has changed a little bit. And I have seen that the little improvements that the team has done in, for example, lead management is is a sign of maturity and it's a sign that we're doing things the right way. Yeah, I that's really interesting. I like when you said that, that the movement, it, it brought me back to remembering what we've, you know, a lot of people say uh, like practice makes perfect. Right. And mm-hmm. one of the things we've always done with our kids is say practice makes progress. Right. And I think that's, that's kind of what I thought of when you were there is like the, the idea that there is some perfect state, right. Some maturity model. And once you get there, you're done. Right. You just keep yeah. it going. Right. Is a myth. I think is what you're saying. Right. And so, but you can always make progress and get better. And I think, it's it's it falls into that category of you don't know what you don't know until you're there, right? Exactly, exactly, and that's that's one of the things that I had to accept. Like I only knew what I knew, and and there's even a framework for that uh, in design thinking, which is what we discussed last time, which we are not going to discuss right now <laughs> because it would be too much. But uh, it's it, you, you're right. Like you don't know what you don't know, and and then you need to be uncovering things as you go and figuring things out as you go the same way. Yeah, I think that ties in with one of my sort of uh, soapbox topics, which is like I don't like the idea of, or w- w- I think what the way some people interpret the term best practices. Cause I think, Oof. <laughs> right. Okay. So we're maybe we're on the same, cause I think like the myth there to me is that you just take what you did before and just, it you, you drop in everything the same and it works, but it doesn't because every company is different. The people are different. Their skills and experience, the culture, like all those things have an impact on whether or not something's going to be just as effective. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Especially with revenue operations where, and I and I and I did that phase. I made that phase because I I find it very funny when people talk about best practices in revenue operations. And I was just having this conversation with Rosalind Santelena, and I was like, 
there is no best practices. This is such a new uh, function. Well, it's a methodology that becomes a function uh, that you can't really say that there's a best practice. There are things that work that you should double down on, and then there are things that that you sh- you should keep improving. But something such as best practices of revenue operations, I don't think they exist. At least not yet. No, I. I mean, I like to think of things in terms of. I guess I call it principles that I like to adhere to. So things like, mm-hmm. um, like I, I'll give an example. So if there's a choice between uh, making a system sort of force people to do certain things or not, because you're worried that there's going to be some downstream impact, like they're going to make a mistake, um, but that's going to slow down or make it less likely that let's say salespeople less likely that they're going to put their information in Salesforce. Like mm-hmm. I would, I would generally, from a principal standpoint, try to trust those people to do the right thing and put less mm-hmm. structure in, the, because I think I want like what's important to that to them is that they are able to do their job, that we can get stuff, and that we can work with them on sort of emphasizing why it's important to do this, and we won't always get everybody, but if we sort of force it and make it too complicated, we'll never get any of it. It won't work. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, that to me, that's a good like that's a principle, but that's my like kind of a principle. I wouldn't say it's a best practice, and how that gets applied in any particular situation can vary. I agree. I agree. All right, we're done. I like that. <laughs> I'll take that. I'll take that. Um, well, yeah, we mentioned Rosalind. We need to get Rosalind on here sometime too. So, Rosalind, if you're listening, maybe calling you again. Come here. Come here, Rosalind. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's interesting that you how that's evolved, and I think we're in, aligned on some of those things. Okay, so most of our audience is marketing ops folks, and there I think sure some marketers and and rev ops people as well. Um, some of the marketing ops folks we who are listening are probably either you know not they're not maybe they're not in revenue operations under a team that covers all the go to market operations functions, but. Um, Maybe they are anticipating that's going to happen or they know it's going to happen. Maybe in particular, they're going to merge with sales ops, right? Um, what What do you think they could do in whether that's going to happen or not, like a rev ops function is going to happen? What do you think marketer ops folks can do to say better work with their sales ops teams so that you know they can start to work better? Because I think a lot of reasons why rev ops has come around is because there's like not group, not teams working together well. I agree. I agree. And and when I came to, to JLL, um, I realized that we didn't have that relationship with the sales ops uh, guys. Well, we in, in some regions we don't even have the function. But uh so I so I we use Forrester for a lot of things um in the organization and so I I ran to them and I was like, please help me, how do I communicate effectively with, with my with my peers? Because they are, it seems like they are on the other side of the fence and I can't get there. I just can't get there. And their answer were, was as simple as you're not talking the same language. You're, you're not speaking the same language. So I realized that my mistake was I was coming from a perspective of, hey, I need this instead of looking at the roadmap and see which things can or cannot be prioritized. Um, so what I, what I mean by that and what I want to say by that is I was not respecting them as strategists and that was my first mistake. So I believe, I believe all operators are going to, or, or as, as, are becoming strategists in many ways, not only the sales ops, but also the marketing ops and the customer success ops, 
but um I, I I truly believe that, but I was not applying what I what I believe because I had value to show at the organization, right? So I thought that my needs were more important than any other. So that was a little selfish of, from, from my from my side. Um but uh, when you respect them as strategists, they are really the ones that are personalizing your systems and enabling the teams to act on 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 the accounts. So respect them, respect them, respect them. And then finally, I would say like find some easy wins, some easy wins that you can share between both teams or the three teams or whatever you're you've been working with. Um, those easy wins are gonna show not only value for you but also to the organization. So. When I realized that there were small things here and there that we could share and that we could show to the to to higher management, it's when when we started to build that relationship. And I'm not gonna say that it's perfect or that I have that relationship everywhere in the world, but at least in one of the regions it was successful and it was something that they believed in and it was something that helped me improve the way I was talking to them and the way I was um, working with them. So yeah. That's I, no, I I love that, and like I think that that is a great example of how to build I, I, the way I describe it, like trusted long term relationships. And part of that mm-hmm. is being humble to some degree, like confident but humble. Right, I think it's a term, I, a phrase I like is is but being humble to say, look, I think you can provide, like I can learn from you, and then we can both kind of get something that's going to be a value, even if it's a relatively small exactly. win. And I think exactly. that's a great grace. I'm curious, so because you've got an international team, this is something I just thought of because we've had a couple of people on recently who are um, outside the U.S., which is great because uh, I like getting that perspective. But as you've been working with these teams in other global regions, are you are you just finding it challenging to uh, build relationships that way? And then if so, are you doing that mostly remotely and virtually or are you able to go and – meet face-to-face in some cases? Hey everyone, it's Mike Rizzo here and I'm interrupting your episode to bring you a brief message about, you might have guessed it, Mopsapalooza 2024, our second annual conference held in the vibrant city of Anaheim, California. We're hosting this hybrid event from the 5th of November through the 8th and we would love for you to join us in person in Anaheim. But if you can't, please join us via live stream, courtesy of our sponsor, Excelibets. We're excited to offer an opportunity for professionals just like you to connect, learn, and grow among the best in the industry. Our event promises to be a highlight of the year, offering invaluable professional development experiences, live workshops, and of course, networking with your peers. Don't miss out on this incredible gathering right next to Disneyland in Southern California. Tickets are going fast. We will cap registration at 700 attendees. Secure your pass by visiting marketingops.com today. And we're looking forward to welcoming you to what is guaranteed to be an unforgettable event. It might just be the best event you've ever attended. But don't take my word for it. You can ask the community at any time. We'll see you there. Dear Lord, that's one of the biggest challenges that I think everyone is is experiencing after and and before COVID. Um, However, I think I consider myself a citizen of the world. Like I've been working and studying in different cities all over the world. And so I I, I understand people culturally 
deeper than any other human being that you might meet. Um, so coming from that angle, for me, is not as hard as it could be for others to connect via Zoom. At the very beginning, I we were we were allowed to travel. So there was this meeting in London where I got to meet the heads of the regions and where Michael, it was fantastic, the feeling of like going for a drink because it goes farther than just talking about what you're doing in X system or Y system or this process or that process or what X is doing or or Y. Um, it's about what matters to people. And if you yeah. get to connect with people to, to personal fibers, that's when you're going to succeed. Because at the end, I, I, I say this repeatedly, like you're selling to account what you're selling to a person. Yep. The same applies to your teams. Like you're working with a team, but you are working with humans and understanding what makes them happy if they are going to be parents soon, if they are going to be, if they are experiencing a divorce, for example, if they're experiencing a lack of sleep, if they're experiencing things that are vital for a human being to function, um, that's when the, the connections really, really happen. So I was lucky enough to meet part of my team in person. And now, I, I mean, I, I, I don't want to sound arrogant or anything, but I do believe that I have one of the best teams that I've ever had in my career. And that's because we connect very well, very, very well to the through Zoom and in, and in person in those few occasions that I got to meet them. Yeah, I, my experience with working with global teams is even a short window of time in person it's everything it, it's everything. it makes such a huge difference and yep. and and to your point right i i've become a big fan of when you have and i learned this years ago when i worked for another big company texas instruments we had a, a team that was wasn't international but was in another city in the us and i always felt like i had to justify the travel expense so i'd schedule myself like back to back to back to back and then um and then invariably, like it didn't really help. What really made the difference was when I intentionally left open time mm -hmm. because that's when those conversations. So whether it was going out for dinner or drinks or, but a lot of times it was just walking by somebody's desk in an office and exactly. there, there was it, it, those kinds of things I think really make a difference. It's part of what probably the biggest thing I miss working from home and remotely right now is just not having those regular opportunities to just run into each other and, and connect that way. And it can be about work, but it doesn't have to be. Generally, it's not about work when you when you create those deep connections. But I, I agree with you. Sometimes I, I mean, I'm not going to lie, Michael, like I, I love working from home. I've always been, um, I'm an introvert. I have autism. Like there are many things that, that I recently found about myself that make working from home my ideal state. Sure. However. Um, I understand very well how to have a conversation with someone and you're right. Like even in the coffee break or like going to the bathroom and you run into someone and suddenly you stay with them like 15 minutes, that's going to create a connection. And I was again, lucky enough that and in another occasion, my current boss came to San Francisco and we went for dinner and today I respect, I already respected her because of the career that she's she's had she's this brilliant mind but like when I got to sit with her and learn about her kids and her husband and her life and like how she manages both uh, personal life and work I was like holy mother of god like this woman is 
superwoman. And so <laughs> I am I am lucky enough that I have her as my manager. But it didn't it wouldn't have happened to that degree if she if she if she wouldn't have come to San Francisco and spent some time with me. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I I just happened to have a conversation with somebody earlier today who wanted to sort of pick my brain about maybe starting a podcast. And it was not a work related one. It would be one more for kind of um I don't even know how to describe it. I want anyway, long story short, I was told them like one of the things I think that really ma- would make it really resonate compared to others that might overlap with the target audience would be if you got people on who got really vulnerable, right? And I think there's yeah. There's something like that. So uh, anyway, sorry, I took us off track there. So let me think of it. So uh, we're recording this in early 2023, right? We all kind of know that the current economic situation is weird, bad. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to describe it exactly. And one of the impacts I think has been that the idea of revenue operations, I think, really started at earlier stage companies, right? Um, mm-hmm. Startups and things like that. Um and I think they're the ones that are getting affected by cuts and stuff like that, maybe more more so than the general economy. But do you think, can, what's your take? Do you think that that's going to affect the evolution or you know, is it going to slow down or accelerate the, the move towards revenue operations? What do you think is going to happen from that standpoint? If we think about like what is revenue operations at its core, I think the answer could be it will it will only accelerate it because Revenue operations means agility and means effectiveness and means sprinting in several areas of the business. And I think that would allow businesses to, as we were saying, to double down in what is working and cut what's not. Um, so, and, and this was one of my predictions that I gave to Syncry uh, a little while ago, uh, like last week or something, where I think individuals are going to start making real-time um, operational insights that are going to be available cross-functionally anytime, anywhere, because because you can't afford to 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 be the the the, the person that that reports late or that your that your data doesn't make sense or anything like that. But like with the shortages of of human capital and and the things that we're experiencing, unfortunately, I think this is a time to be linear than ever and to be nimble and to be very intentional about what you're doing and if possible become indispensable for your company i i I understand that nobody is indispensable because companies are gonna get rid of you like this we are seeing that more than ever but like if there's a time where you need to learn more things and where you need to to become more useful is right now and revenue operations allows people to do that because revenue operations is a cross-functional um entity that should work with all departments at, at simultaneously so when you think about it if one individual is let's say the director of revenue operations that like it's my case um today i need to find a way more than ever to create more value to, to the organization and find hidden revenue faster than ever um so if you if you ask me i think the 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 tendency of 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 studying revenue operations teams and to really build those teams effectively is going to be right now. So um, it's, I think it's interesting because I think what you're, this is becoming a, a somewhat of a theme across our episodes in different sort of different uh, from different ways, but this idea that operations teams that 
part of the value and part of the way they show themselves as being strategic is like leveraging their both access and understanding of the data that they have, mm-hmm. right? To uncover opportunities for whether it's hidden hidden revenue or hidden ways at which you know you win better and stuff like that. So, are you? Do you think? Here's my my concern with that. I mean, I tend to agree with you. I think that's a place where you like you can add value if you're in operations because you should know the you should know the data well. You should be able to have access to it. Um, so you should be able to carve out time. My concern is that I think that is that there's a lot of people in ops who I think particularly in marketing ops if they're relatively new and have been heavily focused on I'll call it campaign operations mm-hmm. is that they don't really understand how to uh, analyze data right that is a skill that is I think I think it's a skill that there's a gap with what is needed and what the general population of people in the role have. I think it's not only marketing ops, Michael. I think it's general marketing. Like when you oh, think, yeah, for sure. when you think about the marketer of two thousand six, of two thousand eleven, all the way to the marketer of two thousand twenty three, it has substantially changed, and that transition and transformation happened to me because I I come from like to to the audience that things that in order to be in revenue operations, you need to have an operations background. That's not true. Like I come from traditional marketing or what it's called traditional marketing. And I had to force myself to, to be comfortable in front of a Salesforce dashboard. For example, I don't crack anymore. If you put me in front of a dashboard, I used to. I'm sorry. I can't imagine you cracking on any of this. (laughs) Well, I did. I did at some point in my life. And I was like, wait, but this is not what I am used to. Like my, my function is not this, like why should I learn the data? Like data is for the engineers. And so that transition of like the marketer now needs to be equal parts of science and art. It's beautiful. Right now it's the, for me, it's the best time to be a marketer, the best absolutely time. And there's a reason why marketing ops people are in in race and they are like paying a, ma- a massive amounts of money to these to these folks because one they deserve it mm-hmm. and second because they are kind of becoming the brains of the organizations yeah no i so i think my my based on what you said right because i think if i if i can read between the lines right you sort of force yourself to learn yep right? yep and you saw that that was going to be a key part of being successful. So for all of our audience and listeners, you know, take that advice, right? If you, if you want to, you know, make yourself valuable, figure out how you can leverage data that you've got access to, because no one else in the organization probably knows how to do it better than you. That's really, I think the message there. Um, Okay. So I think we covered this, we may have covered this a little bit, but um, we talked about like best practices and principles and that kind of stuff. Are you, is there, um, are there any things that you see in how you would have approached things when you're either with or advising a smaller earlier stage company than what you're seeing or doing at JLL, which, you know, there's probably something in between too, but you know, in terms that's like the two extremes, right? I think there are, um, items or tactics that it, of that are true to revenue operations that that don't apply when when you are um, 
a multi-million uh, or actually a, a multi-billion uh, company. So, for example, I was talking earlier about sprinting. Sprinting kind of doesn't apply in, in a bigger organization simply because of the of the amount of people involved. But if we look at another another skill, which is road mapping, that applies to every single organization of every single size. So you need to kind of pick and choose and slice and dice the, the skills that a revenue operations person has in order to, to apply them to the the stage of the company that, that you are talking about. Um, those are the two that I can think right away uh, here in, in my mind. I'm sure there are more and people are, can agree or disagree with me, but um, that's what that, what I have in mind right right now. Yeah, I, th- I think you're, that's, those are good examples of two things that would be very different in the state size stage company. I think maybe one that um, I think I've seen both at smaller and larger companies as a struggle is just how do you prioritize? So if, mm-hmm. say you come, so say you have a roadmap, right? There's there's choosing how do you get from where you are to where you want to be. There's different ways you could approach that, right? Then you can only sort of take make progress on part of it at a time usually. Um, so I, I think of it, I, I, my guess is the similar, a similar structure would work regardless of the size of the company, if you did it right, but the speed yeah. at which you do it might be different. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. I agree. Okay. That, yeah, that's interesting. Um, do you, do you, so you and I are both at relatively large companies and there's, there's a part of me that it may, it's, it's hard to, to deal with that lack of sprinting, but I recognize it's important. So it's, um, yeah, it's it's a challenge sometimes for sure. It's something that I miss too, but uh, because it's interesting to test things as, as rapid as you can. But also it's nice to feel that not everything is a fire in your hands. It's, yeah. it, you know, it also gives you a little peace of mind to say like, okay, the world is not going to end if I don't finish this by... Friday. Right. Um, it's, it's, it's just everything in life has its, its good things and its bad things. So you just need to choose, uh, choose your poison. Right. Yeah. I, I have teenage teenagers at home. So I try to tell them cause they're prone to want to know like, what's the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do or right decision or wrong decision. Like that's not how real life works. Right. It's made up of a bunch of trade-offs. Mm-hmm. And choosing which trade-offs matter more to you or the other people in short-term versus long-term, right? Those are all things that it depends, right? So, yep. the great the consulting answer to everything, right? It depends. It depends. <laughs> it depends. Um, well, so, let's, one of the things I think we all probably also struggle with is how do we know if our ops team is being successful, right? Do you? Do you? How do you? Go about measuring the your your you know are you doing what you're supposed to be doing your effectiveness or your team's effectiveness how do you how do you go about measuring that because I I know I struggle with that sometimes I always wanted to tie it to revenue but I've stepped back from that because I think there's too many other things outside of my team's control. There are two sides to to this answer I think like the first one is yes you can tie to revenue because you can measure velocity and therefore you can see faster sales cycles. So if you start seeing that velocity um, uh, decreases, that's that's a good thing. Uh, or like you start to see less revenue leakages through the funnel. 
those are good signs that your operations teams are working together and that and that you are doing things the right direction. But Michael, ultimately, I mean, it's going to sound again super logic, but like it's going to be your customer that 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 will tell you because they will feel less friction and oh boy, they they will let you know. Right now, we are hyper dramatic and hyper um, exit. Uh, uh, what's what's the name? Um, uh, extra. Um, we want things our own way in our own time in our own moment. If not, we become babies and we and we complain in every single platform that we have access to. Right. So, if the experience feels smoother, like for example, like buying a Tesla, where everything feels so easy and practical, and like if you think about like buying a car in the 1990s or the 2000s against how is buying a Tesla right now. Jesus Christ, like who would have imagined that you can buy everything and personalize it in your phone and in 10 minutes you have a Tesla uh, bot? Like it's it's crazy to me. So it's how do you measure if Europe's functions are are working and are working together well? Ask your customer. Ask your customer how is their experience because everything is uh, is around the customer uh, journey. And so if they feel like they had a good experience with you, if you have higher NPS scores, which I kind of believe half, half and half because people not always um, put the right thing on NPS scores. But if you are talking to your customers enough, you're going to know if you're doing things right. Yeah. I love that you're talking about customers because I think that's one thing I try to encourage all of our listeners regularly. Is like, I appreciate the idea of internal customers, but it's like fingernails on a chalkboard to me. Like I, mm-hmm. I just don't like that term because I think customers are customers, right? <laughs> exactly. And, and if we lose sight of that, uh, and maybe it's just words, but I think that the words matter. Like, to me, if we're doing things that make it easier for us to do things, but it's harder for our end customers to actually engage with us in business, then it's probably not the right thing. Exactly. exactly. So, um, that, yeah, so that's that's great. Um, any? Do you have any other... I mean, do you have any specific things you measure? Like if Naomi was on here, I know she thinks about... Um, like, uh, how much are people actually using platforms that they've got in their tech stack and things like that as a measure? Mm-hmm. Do you have anything like that that you look at? Not at the moment, because I'm telling you, revenue operations is very, very green at JLL. So we're starting like from the basics. So I right. don't, I don't measure uh, right now KPIs around uh, operational performance. We should. <laughs> that doesn't mm-hmm. mean that we shouldn't. We should. Uh, but but uh, probably my my brain is gonna take me to to what I told you like to yeah, the to, customer. to to value or to to velocity to velocity to value to to conversion rates uh, to kind of measure the funnel and see if if things are marching the the way they are supposed. Right now we are doing uh, comparisons between the data of 2022 uh, to, to to 2021. And I uh, start to see like what happened at this at the same time of the year, but like the previous year. And so with those insights, we are kind of starting to to see what are the trends in the company. And so hopefully one day we're gonna be able to to measure operational performance. Yeah, that's great. Awesome. Uh okay, so we've covered a lot of you know, a lot of ground here. Let's see. <laughs> um so let me just, I'll just open it up. Like, is there anything else that like, I think especially it's really interesting that you're, you know, how some of your, your 
views have maybe shifted a little bit since you've been at JLL. Just is there anything else that we you you think would be valuable for our our listeners and our audience um, that we haven't covered thus far? I think I would double down in what we were covering on on the keep learning, where where you say like you you had to learn. Yes, I had to, but I also was open to do it because a lot of people are willing to 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 read something or to because because the job requires it. But make it a muscle, make it a, a thing that you actually enjoy. Um, again, and I'm gonna keep clicking on this because it's tough times that we were discussing. Become useful, become indispensable for your organization, especially in these days. Um, I think if if, that, if there's an advice that I could give to someone right now, it would be that one. Like go and and, and be intentional about what you learn and apply it. Try to apply it in 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 with friends. Make brain sessions, or, or as I call them, brain dates. I have a lot of brain dates with with people in the industry where I just say like, "How are you doing this?" or "How are you doing that?" I'm I'm gonna, for example, I'm gonna enroll at the CRO school from Pavilion next week because I want to understand the the role of the of the CRO and how does it apply to JLL, regardless if I am a CRO or not. Sure. Um, be that type of person right now because your organization needs it. Um, so that's what I would advise. Love it. Great. Well, Lorena, this is, has been fun again, like just way, way it was last time is if folks want to connect with you or keep up with, with what you're doing and learn from you, what's the best way for them to do that? LinkedIn is always the best way to, to connect with me because I don't discriminate. I accept literally everyone. Uh, please, if you're going to sell me, sell me in the right way. Uh, probably I'll buy. Who knows? But ah, uh, there you go. <laughs> but LinkedIn at uh, LinkedIn.com slash in slash Morales Lorena. Um, you can find me there. Perfect. Well, Lorena, thank you so much. It's been fun. Uh, thanks to all of our listeners out there and, and all of our audience. We appreciate everything. So continue to give us your feedback and thoughts and suggestions and ideas on topics and guests. And if you want to be one, just uh, hit up me, uh, Mike Rizzo, or Naomi Lou through LinkedIn or the marketingops.com community. Until next time, thanks, everybody. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Michael. Bye.